I'm John O'Loughlin. Welcome to Macduff Lives Podcast. They're not trying to enhance children. They're not teaching the Socratic method. They're not te- they're not having them read classical books. They're not allowing them to find out who they are and find their creativity and allow them to be their best self. They're teaching them just to be a follower and a worker. And in that, you're going to have a large group of people that all they have, all it takes is someone on the news media to say something that's not factual, and they actually believe it. And then they go out on the street ready to hit anybody who's innocent because now everybody's the boogeyman, all because the man on the TV told them so, because they weren't educated enough to know when they're being fooled. everyone. Welcome to McDuff Lives. I'm John O'Loughlin, and I'll introduce you to our panel tonight. Carol M., Tara, and Amber are back. They are collectively known as Protecting the Nest. And uh, I just love to get back with you guys because we've been together in many ways over the years. And uh, Cheers! <laughs> ginger beer tea, of course. Oh, and yeah. Classic, classic John. That's me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, classic Tara, it's good to have you and uh, Amber and Carol. And uh, geez, uh, it's starting to get chilly outside. How are things where you all are? It's great. We're in a season where we can actually grow um, kale, mustard greens, collard greens, carrots, spinach, and some lettuces. We do them on our deck. So we move it around for the sun. And if it gets super cold, we bundle them together. We just put burlap at the base of the containers and uh, they perk right back up the next morning. If we know it's going to be like a hard freeze and a snow, we'll just lay a tarp, like a side tent, like a, um, a, a lean to. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of have it go down. And then in the morning when the sun comes up, we remove it and we can, we can grow veggies just per, per, only particular ones and any Arctic, any tomato that has an Arctic name. Um, that sounds like it can it can withstand a little hardier weather. So we can grow pretty much throughout the winter. I'm so glad to talk to you about this because uh, honestly, when we first bought the house in 06, I was all excited about having a yard, and I I, I was reading about the, you know the Indians uh, tradition and the corn with the the with the beans and the squash. So I went out in the backyard and plowed up a bunch of it, you know, tore it up with with my uh, with my shovel and my pick. And, and then I had, you know, maybe about 50 nice big corn plants with all kinds of vegetables growing on them. And it was fun. But then I started traveling in the summer when I started doing opera stuff and, and I haven't done a garden in all these years. And so we bought some of those raised bed things. So we didn't have to bend over all the time. And I filled them with some dirt and I started to throw some seeds in there, but nothing, nothing hasn't happened this summer. I was kind of so frustrated, but I know it's just a matter of uh, putting more energy into it and, and doing it right. Like I'm getting some seed starter sets, you know, for this, you know, maybe February start some veggies inside instead of just throwing the seeds in the ground and, and hoping for the best. Anyway, enough out of me, Tara, uh, how about you? You guys are into some gardening, aren't you? Yeah, and you know, I've learned actually a lot from Dave. There's definitely no growing outside. <laughs> you know, that's that's very lucky. But um, 
Yeah, we he what he would say is probably he's learned a lot about living soil, which is instead of having to like feed your plants all the time, you kind of start off with a very everything the plant needs in the soil. Mm -hmm. um, so he probably would have advice to you. I can't think of what it is particularly right now about certain like kinds of soil and combinations to put in the raised bed. But there's also like how the seeds are and where you got them and what the life of, of that is too. But you're right. I think starting early is key, you know, before the season, which obviously you guys have a even better season than we do. But I know I remember it in January sitting down at the little beach with my just, you know, it felt I could feel the difference anyways. But um, I feel like for myself anyways, not being that like super structured i feel like all the talks that we've had has definitely like cued me in and cued us in more than ever to like seasonal awareness and i think that this winter for us probably will be more of like a spring prep than than ever i yeah. think me too all right, and I know Carol. You know, you know a lot of great stuff to share with us about this subject. But uh, uh, tell us about the weather up there first. I know you're in uh, Oregon. My dog was whining, so I to put it on mute. Yeah, it's oh, starting. Now to... we know whose dog that was. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's yeah, his name? Uh, his name's Fletcher. All right, and Fletcher, he... calm down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me an hour here. Well, it just started to get real nippy at night, so I have some frost, and I'm. We can get kale to grow through the winter, but it's a little bit. Sometimes it'll kind of get wilty. It looks cold. It looks like I want to put a muffler on it or something. So I've got some compost I might put around the base and see if that helps because it just looks a little, you know, shriveled up slightly. But they're very hardy. But John, I my suggestion to you is. Grow some red worms in your compost that you can buy them online. And I, I got um, some the red worm compost this year and it made a huge difference. I'd never been able to grow stuff like that. But you can just buy the worms for a lot less money. You don't and it might you might not be able to get the compost, but you can make it. Just put the worms in there and they'll start going to town and it's their poop that is amazing. It makes all the soil fluffy and light. And it's, it's you know, what I think Dave talks about as living soil. That's one of the most important components is to get uh, something like that, living worms. Because not only do they poop and put all this rich digested stuff in there, but they make little holes everywhere so the roots can get in there. And the living soil needs oxygen. You have to have little, yeah. you know, lightness in there for it <laughs> yeah that's, so that's we, my my advice red just, worm just just tell me one thing do, do this do the little worms suffer any pain no they're happy they're just totally happy <laughs> there and if you dig them they'll they'll cut in half and make more <laughs> yeah they, lo they love living in your soil uh it doesn't it hurt did. them too the reason it's why it's really important to allow for the oxygen is when um, you're, when you look at your roots, you've got these little tiny fibrous roots. That's, those are the little tiny ones are what collects all the water from the soil. And, and the more mm -hmm. your roots had, had these little fibrous roots that like sprawl out and go down, 
the the stronger it is and the more yield you'll get if it's closer to the surface then it's going to dry out easier it's it's going to um tip over it's easier to get root rot so there's mm-hmm. just there's a lot of these um you need really great drainage and that's what's so great about not and when when people get their plants if they get it from the they normally will put it in the soil and then push down it's like no don't do that fluff the soil set it in there and just kind of fluff the dirt like poof around it and then you know you can smooth but don't push down because it causes compaction and it's really hard for it to find its way and really start growing yeah, I didn't see any worms at the beginning when I put it in, but by the end of the season, any little scoop you pulled out, it was light and fluffy, and you could see a whole bunch of them wiggling around in there. So it, it was significant how they multiplied. And yeah, it was really wonderful to see. I can't wait to add the biochar this year that I that I got from the biocomposter. <laughs> I know, that's exciting. I think worms is something that, when we were kids, we saw all the time they were just everywhere, and and I you don't see them as much anymore unless you do go out and, and turn some soil over. All right, let's uh, get into the the subject matter. We were I was thinking about, about a few things, but uh, I I had uh, a note from Carol saying she really liked the interview that I did with Professor Dolores Cahill of uh, Ireland, who's a virologist who uh, went through a whole lot of hazing and censorship and, you know, losing her position, uh, a very highly esteemed scientist. I think she worked at Max Planck for, for years, but now she's uh, decided to fight this thing on the basis of what she calls natural law. And uh, I was not, when I prepared for the show, uh, expecting to do that subject. I thought she were going to talk talk about a number of other political things that she was working on. Uh, For instance, trying to restore the idea of local banks. One of the things that that is just the most awful thing is the consolidation of of banking into a small cartel of of ever more rich um, elite people. And that that's not the purpose for which our governments really allow banks. We, we, we allow banks in order to produce uh, a better way of living for the citizens of our country, not to send a bunch of money into Swiss bank accounts never to be seen again. So I like her thinking along those lines. But what she has really wanted to talk about was this idea of natural law. Now, Let's just say it's been a, a substantial long time that I practice law, and I enjoy the idea of of having laws and systems. And well, that's my opinion. But nevertheless, Carol, why don't you uh, give us your reaction to Dr. Uh, Cahill or Professor Cahill? I'm I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said doctor. She she prefers professor. Where would you like to take this? Well, I, I loved her talking about the ancient law, and I didn't really know anything about Brehan law. And you had mentioned that your family was, was working on something called the Egerton 88, that I didn't know what that was. So I was really interested in that. But the, the Brehan law sounds a lot to me like the, the ethics I learned in my training as a yoga teacher. You know, it's based on doing no harm and acting in honor. And I, and I loved her taking it into, um, you know, restoring local accountability, which I think goes into your banking issue as well. 
she was just uh, also the idea. I went on her website and poked around a little bit. And one of the things that, of course, I love to hear about, uh, there was an organization that was a link there called Fractal Circles. And it's something, I guess it started, I don't know when it's, if it was an Irish idea or it started in Europe, I don't know. But it's like you take six people and have conversations and come up with ideas and then you spread it organically. I think I think we're sort of talking about it, it as self-organizing, self-organizing structure to, um, you know, gain, get consensus, share ideas. You know, we're, we feel so isolated lately with all this division. But it, what, one of the things that really interested me that she said was that this law in Ireland has been there for tens of thousands of years. That was pretty amazing. And I know some of the structures that I saw when I was there, they said were older than the pyramids, um, New Grange. Have you ever seen that, John? Did you ever go there to any, some of those standing stones or Oh, yeah. Well, I actually took a, a kind of an iconic picture of, of the Poulnebron burial stone, which is there in County Clare, not very far from the, or actually in the O'Loughlin territory historically. But yeah, Newgrange, I have not visited. I've studied it a lot, and it, it, it is uh, definitely dated to a, a couple thousand years uh, BC. The Brehan Law itself. Well, of course, it's traditional, and we can't say exactly how long it was, how old it is, but uh, there was a Brehan Law School uh, right there in the O'Loughlin Territory. And was it still going? So, no, it was, it was, it was actually a, a ring fort, you know? I mean, it's really oh, ancient, an ancient, really ancient uh, law school. You know, so it was, wow. it, you know, you, you've seen the pictures of ring forts in Ireland, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, really, it's like a yeah. berm circular and, and and usually has stones around it depending upon whether it's a stony area but but that's you know that's typical um bronze age uh defense things and this goes back you know many many centuries so yeah this stuff is very old and the idea of brehan law is the law of those uh, celtic tribes before the conquest by mm -hmm. the english yeah and, and it's real. And, and there's documents from the O'Loughlin's that, that's called, this document called Edgerton 88 is a collection of the Brehan laws that were collected for, oh, okay. for the O'Loughlin uh, chieftain back in whenever it was, uh, you know, a long, long time ago, like 1400, 1500, something like that. How were those laws written down? Or were they passed down orally or was there... Well, it was an oral tradition, but but this was written down. This was a project that was done for the O'Loughlin, and and there's the old Irish script, and it's in a, it's in a medieval Irish language that nobody understands anymore. So it takes a scholar to go back and figure out what it says, but the old Irish script is there. You can you can Google it, and you can see a picture of a page or, or two of it uh, online now, and and they're they're putting together some some funding to hire some, you know, some scholars to actually translate it into, into something that we can, we can, you know, learn from, because I think it'll be fascinating. Mm -hmm. the, there's lots of interesting little uh, snippets, snippets of Brehan law that you can pick up as you just study Irish culture. Uh, things like, uh, you know, if a, if a judge tells a lie, uh, he'll get a red blotch on his cheek. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that still applies or not, but uh, look out for a red blotch the next time you you hear a judge say something, that kind of thing. Uh, one of the things is, is you know, they, 
they didn't have prisons or anything. And, and if somebody owed you money um, or anything, you know, you could just go and sit, sit out in front of their, their door and uh, everybody in the community will know why. And it shames them. And so, so mm -hmm. somehow they come up with the money just out of being shamed. There's a lot of shaming going on back then. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's, there's too much now, though. We, we got into that a little bit and it, it wasn't a, a, good, a good direction, I didn't think. No, but but you know the Irish. You know one of the things, of one of the great writers over there, which I happen to know, P.J. Curtis, once said that uh, resentment is the Irish national sport. So <laughs> it's a small country, you know. <laughs> yeah. She mentioned something that was interesting that it took um, ten or twenty years to learn. So it sounds it's not simple. I was. Uh, it's not just simple rules. It sounds like. It sounds like she studied it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, maybe it, maybe some of it is taught if you go to law school in Ireland. I mean, she went to law school in Ireland fairly recently, right? She went back to law school as part of what she was talking about. That's what she said. But let's look at the subject matter for a second. Natural law. In, in my sense of, you know, my sense of history and what I've studied, uh, it doesn't work. If you've got more stuff than I've got and I'm hungry, I'm going to figure out a way to get some of your stuff because I don't want to die, you know. And so I'd have to go over to you and say, oh, please, Carol, Carol, can I have some of your stuff? And you'd say, are you kidding me? I got 10 kids to feed and there's no way I could give this up. This is all all that I got and I'm not giving you nothing. And I'll have to go around and beg everywhere I can. And then eventually I'm going to get so hungry that I'm going to sneak up on somebody and steal that pie off of their window while it's cooling, you know. And I'll say, oh, I can't help it. It smells so good. And I'll steal that pie. And then the sheriff will come along and he'll say, oh, you stole that pie. I'm locking you up in the hooskow. And there I sit because I was hungry. But if we didn't have those laws, then all the pies would be stolen constantly and nobody would cook them because they'd all get stolen. <laughs> Excuse well, me for going off too crazy, but you know what I'm saying? Well, she, she was talking about these laws being, including a jury of your peers as being part of it. And just, a, a, there's something super wrong with our legal system right now that is so corrupted. And, yeah. uh, you know, part of it is just how complicated the laws have become and that all these special interests go in and write these long, long, long laws. And my understanding of, of natural law is probably really limited, but I I think the ancient laws from maybe Scandinavian, the, I think there's a lot in common with them, but one of them is that you have to have very clear, simple laws that people can understand that are like written on the walls. So it's easy. And to me, that is like a natural law, a natural law, like, the flocks of birds, how do flocks of birds work? You know, they just have really simple things they pay attention to, and then they can all get where they're going together. So I, I'm thinking of natural law as kind of a metaphor for how life works itself, you know, and that we're, we're all, there's a set, a simple set of rules that we just all go by. And we kind of, we self-assemble ourselves, you know, we start out with two cells and it all does it without, a lot of oversight, you know, there's, it's there, it's part of nature to just organize 
within yourself and in small groups. I think it's just a natural thing. We gravitate together, you know, like the Ospies. We love to talk to each other. We love to share ideas. We love to compare our different points of view. And that's one of the things that's really great about our self-organization. To me, the question is about coming up with solutions to, you know, what are the, how did we get in this big mess? And the big I, part of this big mess is laws. Well, and, Carol, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. You, I've thought a lot about this and what dawned on me. And it wasn't until I read the book 1776 by David McCullough. And then I watched the movie or the series. And one thing that stuck, stood out more than anything is John Adams is standing on the shore and some guy gets out of line. People get upset and they automatically start to tar and feather him. He looks over at them and he says, and it's like, you can read his mind. What he's saying is we left England because of all of these oppressive laws. And we thought when we came here, we wouldn't need any of these laws and we would just be free. And holy cow, we're going to have to come up with something or everyone's going to get tarred and feathered and we have chaos and we need some laws, but we can't go as far as having an oppressive king, having one ruler and then that ruler declaring who the peasants, who the winners, who the losers, who the, ro who, who the royals are, who the lords, who the ladies are, who gets land, who doesn't, who farms for us. But we need to be able to forge our own path. But we also need to make sure that a horde of angry people don't castigate or put to death someone who's innocent. And so we have to have a court and we have to have laws. And I think that's where it stemmed from is a realization that if you skate to an island, you still have wild beasts and people can tend to gather together. And even though you have very smart people, depending on their emotion, depending on if they're hangry, hungry, angry, frustrated, they can react in a, in a very ugly way. And before I saw that, I thought, oh yeah, like, I don't understand why we have all these laws. What are they for? And I think we've gone overboard because basic human decency and law uh, comes down to a very simple structure, but then people learn to take advantage of it. And then people do stupid things. Like, why do we have tags on uh, hair dryers that say, don't get near water? Because somebody put the hair dryer in water and electrocuted themselves. So, I mean, we have these issues that not everybody is on the same wavelength. Not everybody has the same in intelligence, but they shouldn't be punished for that. There should be love and tenderness and understanding, but there should also be a bit of a sternness because innocent lives are are in the balance. And you have children who can get the, their innocence taken away early, all because, you know, if I want to hope that everybody will do the right thing because I would do the right thing, then I'm going to be smacked mm -hmm. in the face like John Adams when he turned around and he saw the guy getting tarred and feathered and everyone screaming for the death and other people trying to save him. And you just had this realization of we don't need to go as far as the monarchy and as far as being ruled by a theocracy or a dictatorship but we sure as heck do need laws and and they can't they can't be corrupt and we can't allow for elected officials to break the very laws that they say we should follow where we're punished mm -hmm. and then they use their status because then we're right back at the monarchy where i do no wrong do as i say not as i do um, what, what's okay for me is not okay for you. That's a that's a class to system. and that's the, that's the rules based order. And I think we got into a lot of trouble shifting from 
you know, something that was clear to something that changes all the time and nobody can make any sense of it and there's no accountability, you know. Yes. So we, we need something that has accountability. And, yeah. and I think this idea of small groups and jury of your peers as a basis and then, which we already have, but it's being, it's been so twisted with the giant thousand page laws that nobody can understand. Yeah. And the jargon. So, the linguistic yeah, talk over jargon. everybody says jargon, and then we expect someone who is going to public school, which are purposely there to make people stupid. They're not trying to enhance children. They're not teaching them the Socratic method. They're not they're not having them read classical books. They're not allowing them to find out who they are and find their creativity and allow them to be their best self. They're teaching them just to be a follower and a worker. And in that, you're going to have a large group of people that all they have all it takes is someone on the news media to say something that's not factual and they actually believe it and then they go out on the street ready to hit anybody who's innocent because now everybody's the boogeyman all because the man on the tv told them so because they weren't educated enough to know when they're being fooled absolutely well said well, i just i just want to say one thing about natural law i think of it kind of like water like it's going to take the simplest path and it and it is the simplest thing, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't go everywhere into like pipes or like a pooled area. You know what I mean? So so the natural law doesn't have to stay simple. It doesn't have to stay wild, but it does turn into like, OK, I'm going to build a house for my family. OK, my community is going to you know, police itself and understand who the policemen are and who the citizens are. Mm -hmm. My, my charity is going to begin at home where I can see or at least understand where it's going because people have to understand the more middlemen are, the more less it gets to where you're trying to get it to, you know? So, so if we can craft our laws after things that make sense, like water, like the simpleness, then we can go by the natural law, but not be opposed to like, you know, organized what whatever we have to do to function highly to, together in society. You remind me of books of, of a book I have of the, the earliest Maryland trials. Back in those days, wasn't very often that you had a judge, you know, they they would travel around. And so court was only held, you know, once or twice a year. But when you had court, you had your trials and there wasn't any postponements. There wasn't any appeals. There wasn't anything but whatever that jury said at the end of that trial. And there was hardly any rules. There was like, you know, uh, I could slander the person on the witness stand. I could tell, you know, I could swear and, you know, I could tell all kinds of lies it doesn't matter what I said as an advocate or the parties themselves could say whatever they wanted to say. The whole community would be watching the trial. And so it's like this boxing match of, of, of verbal assaults back and forth <laughs> in which when it's over, it's over and that's it and it's done. And so, you know, what's going to happen? Well, Maybe the person uh, will be locked up for a while. Maybe they'll get, get banished, you know. They might get banished from the, from the province of Maryland or, uh, or have to pay, you know, a thousand pounds of tobacco because they didn't have cash. They had 
you know, big casks of tobacco that they rolled around to, to pay off their debts. That simplicity and the involvement of the community and the spectators is also part of it. It's, it's like a, a sporting event in, in a way to, to have the, the court day. Everybody's seeing it. It's right out in the open. And, you know, I like to quote uh, a friend, uh, a Muslim friend uh, who told me that, that you know, the principle from the, the Quran is that truth stands clear from, from error. And, you know, hopefully that jury back in 1649, you know, that was judging that lady for uh, <laughs> whatever she was supposed to have done uh, w- would have had that kind of discernment. I, I like the idea of getting back to, to a lot of jury trials and, but, but don't, don't let it last two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. ten years. I mean, I've yeah. been involved in cases that lasted ten years. And well, it's crazy. One thing that I think uh, uh, what develops laws is the cause and effect reaction. So you had it going well, and then you had the Salem witch trials, in which a couple of kids felt fervor, shame, and they came and said, "This group, these group of people." We're doing these things and it didn't matter if the woman was able to quote the Bible and everyone knew this woman is going to church, taking care of her husband. Like she had not done any of that, that jury because of the fervor, because of what was going on, uh, got carried away and everyone decided this person should hang. And Mm -hmm. this has happened, you know, where I think then that's why you have that, you have that. And then you have the effect of more strict laws. So that doesn't happen then more laws so that doesn't happen so every time there's malfeasance or every time there's an injustice or every time a martyr is made or every time something bad happens then they institute an extra law which is you have to have two witnesses or then you have to have this then you have to have this and then people learn to take advantage of that because you're always going to have that group and so because we're human and we're totally fallible we keep piling on more and more things as a reaction to the dysfunction rather than reviewing what it is we did wrong, which was take the word of two children without drilling in on what they were saying, analyzing each area, speaking to everyone without making them fear, not having such a severe punishment to where people were willing to say whatever it took to not get in trouble and then use that against them because you forced them into admitting to something that they were afraid not to admit to it's the tactics and the ways to get that guilty thing other rather than actually investigate to actually see if there is a there there you know and, and i think instead they just make these mistakes we're human we get all carried away this thing happens then here's this reaction then we need to figure it out so we add more to it and we add more to it and then we get where we are today and you know i instead of like it's like we don't take that moment to say this is where we went wrong we can't do that again. In fact, this is the way we need to handle it this time without tacking on something different, something different each time where it's just hard to follow. And then people, you know, just get worn down by it and say, well, it doesn't matter what I do anyway. You yeah. know, especially during Jim Crow times and other times it's like, well, if I'm hated anyway, or, or if I can't do this anyway, I'm just going to do this. So regardless, whenever, like right now, there's a large portion of America that feels like they're not being heard, they're being censored. So we have to make sure that if we're being censored, we don't add so many laws on top of that to overreact to it and then later regret 
that thing. So instead of like adding stuff to it, we should be subtracting things away from it and doing it in a very calm manner to explain to the other group that right now it may be us feeling censored, but you turn around in a minute, it might be you and I'll be here for you and I'll listen, but you have to understand it's a very painful experience to know that you have something to share. And there's a group of people that's telling you, you don't get to share your facts. Your facts aren't facts. What you're experiencing, you're not experiencing and you get gaslit just by your own experiences. And so um, that's what I hope doesn't happen is that after we're dealing with such a just breaking of every constitutional, you know, right that we have, everything has been turned upside down. Hopefully that doesn't cause us to just keep piling on more and more in reaction to, and I think that's always the plan with a few people is to cause it to become more complicated, uh, take away more powers from us as we think we're getting more powers. We're actually instituting things that actually give us less freedom. Well, I just want to say real quick that those people, I forgot to say, the natural law really, you know, the people that try to gather together and creep us all out, <laughs> natural law doesn't favor them. So that's why they have to pull the tactics and the S show that they do. Yeah, it's true. I, I just wanted to follow up on, on that. And, and Tara, I'm sure you have heard of like uh, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and all that stuff. Well, that's not our government. This, mm -mm. These, these are, are, are organized world fascists that want to take over everything, uh, including the government. So that the government is, is just like an administrative body that works for the corporations and, and the rest of us are just, you know, serfs or, or pawns yeah. or useless eaters. And uh, so we, we have to do something about that. Uh, in other words, I, st I think we need some laws to protect us against these mm -hmm. fascist corporations. Uh, Tara, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I do. And I think that the the globalist agenda, like it's so like, you know, those old cartoons like Pinky and the Brain, they, they want to take over the world. Like, no, they really do. And when you realize that you just I, I, I remain I continue to have a strong amount of faith throughout this whole thing. I, I know that the we have all gotten so strong and you know not just as individuals we talk about the 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 groups and everything and so it's just i guess it's that fearlessness of the warrior and you know it's probably a chinese you know cookie or something that says that courage isn't the the lack of fear it's the mastery of it and so that's why in the face of the most horrific situations, we really need to minimize these creeps into, you know, these little petty tyrants and just like shrink them down and be like, I know you want to do your little toxic stuff, but sorry, there's more of us. And your, your story is going to be really amazing for the ages when we tell it, but, you're just not going to win this thing because they they are so used to the hubris is is so insane, you know that it's like 
I think waves of people are seeing it every day. And, yeah. you know, that's a, that's not a small thing. Hubris, yeah. yeah. We, we, we see it. And uh, the more people that see it is, I, I've been following Mark uh, Kulak at Housatonic Live very closely lately. And, and he has been on fire um, mm -hmm. going into the history of, uh, of remdesivir and the, the way that it's, you know, been you know, marketed or foisted upon us in, 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 in other ways. And he's suggesting that this is bio-warfare and it is them you know them the ones that want to take over the world that would be you know the first suspect on my list say it's it's them and i'm still baffled as to how it is possible that all of my progressive liberal good-hearted friends just can't can't imagine that they're that they really are trying to take over the world but they are folks they're trying to take <laughs> yeah. over the world john john yeah. I'll tell you something that I noticed. So I've made sure to attend a bunch of events with different types of people. Just last night, I went to an event where I would say it's the furthest left that you could actually get. Like they don't believe in jails at all. Like nobody does anything wrong and all the homeless, there's no issue. We just need to, you know, no one's doing their job and, you know, nobody's doing anything wrong. Just the people who aren't helping the people. You know, and, and, and it's very utopian. None of them are happy. And then when I go to an event that's on the right, none of them are happy. And then I go to an event that's supposed to be more of establishment. None of them are happy. So everyone's being fed something through their news stream. It's a different algorithm. And they feel the same way we do. But they're seeing it from the perspective that scares them and makes them feel like everybody else is suppressing them oppressing them mm -hmm. and they don't feel happy. And something else I noticed, I did a post about people in my family that has served in the military. Do you know this is the first year that I only got 15 people to like it because there's an algorithm that, and I looked on everybody else's pages, anybody who showed a picture of their family member, except for maybe three or four that had been in the military, they only had like 15 likes, 20 likes or whatever. So that was suppressed. So they were actively suppressing people who were honoring people on Veterans Day so that there were people scrolling through who probably didn't even know it was Veterans Day at all. And so we've got infiltrators that have caused a deep division where everywhere I go, and I've made sure to break out of my bubble and not go where my biases are. And everywhere I go, everyone's sad and they mm -hmm. look defeated and they look like they're fighting the boogeyman and, they, and the boogeyman has been defined for them. So we're all fighting this boogeyman that's been defined for us. And we think it's our neighbor, or our friend, and we think they've lost their mind, but they are being sent literature and things that tell them that it's their neighbor and their friend and they've lost their mind and everyone's lonely and everyone's sad. So someone is really playing a number on us. And I call this not only biowarfare, but psychologically traumatizing as many people as possible. It's absolutely disgustingly evil. And we have to find a way to let everybody know, hey, we're all in these different algorithms and we're all sad because that's the way they want us. They want us sad, depleted, feeling lonely, outnumbered, and they want us all to feel that way. And no one is gathered together having a great time. I've literally been to every mm -hmm. type of group. I make sure if I see it and I know people going, I'll go. And everybody's sad. I haven't seen any happiness whatsoever. 
Well, I think that the reality is that we're we're kind of living in a Marvel comic book. We can't believe it. <laughs> it's happened pretty quickly, really. I mean, it's been a slow, slow prepare. They've been working on this for a long, long time. I mean, I, I think maybe a hundred years or something to get ready for this big moment where they, you know, the finally the peer they're at the top of the pyramid and they've got a way to pull the wool over everybody's eyes or kill them or whatever it is they're doing. It feels like a cartoon or a comic book, evil masters. And, you know, we just have to wake up to that and call their bluff because it is like the emperor wears no clothes. As soon as you see it, it's like, here's this guy with his, Star Wars suit on <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. So, but they've done it so insidiously with, you know, not only the different um, storylines to everybody against themselves, which we've seen over and over again, reading all the books you've read to us, John, and, and just all the work we've been doing. We, we see those patterns now just clear as day. So how do we, how do we uh, tell that story? I think, I think it works. You tell the story, it starts to dissolve. And now we're almost at that exponential curve where it's just. Maybe we make it like a commercial. Maybe we make it like a commercial. Do you feel sad? Do you feel sad because the news you're hearing? Do you know that the friend that you think is against you feel sad too? Do you know that they're given different news than you do, than you are? Then you should come and join us and <laughs> go and gather with people that you think you have nothing in common with to find out what they're being fed in their news feed. And you'll soon find out we're all being manipulated, which is why we're all sad. Again, you need to do that commercial. That's good. That's a great commercial. commercial. That makes people go, whoa, a 30 second clip. Mm -hmm. Do you feel, do you have, like how the pharma companies convinces, you know, we we might have a shake in our kneecap. So we need to go get a Fervolavaprogene. And it might have 250 (laughs) side effects and anal leakage may be one of them, but it's well worth it. And you should probably go get it. And you Ask your doctor. So we should probably do our commercials like that. You just take mm-hmm. a template and then mimic it. It seems to work really well. So we should It's so sad. It's so sad. You have to laugh, you know. <laughs> Uh, the, yeah, the Saturday Night Live attack. You're really good at that, Amber. I'm telling you, I think you, you know, if we could just cut that quarter out of out of the show here tonight, you got the cover. <laughs> All right, Tara, what do you think? <laughs> you you well, want to be in the commercial? I, you know, I was going to say when Carol was talking and you said, "How do we do it?" and then I thought through stories, and then the next word out of your mouth was the story, and I think that. You know, and I continue to think that that's what the arts are for is because uh, the expression can be turned into so many different mediums. And that is really an algorithm breaker unto itself because, you know, AI can't, you know, understand memes or, you know, when we have a conversation and we understand each other's body language, there's just there's just so much interconnectedness that the controllers that, you know, the controllers that control the AI actually trick themselves into thinking that they were actually controlling us the way that they're controlling AI. And, yeah, they do have people under their spell and stuff, but we're not AI. And we are people. 
you know, we're, we're spiritual people and we have an understanding that's beyond what can be explained. We try to do our best to talk about it, but you know, it, in essence, it's kind of, it's even beyond what we, what we can figure out. And because there's the unknown and there's the unknowable and the unknown, you know, we are determined to figure it out. And the unknowable, we just accept and have faith. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is a con. And I, and I think uh, some of the work, I was in L.A. this week, you know, digging around in that, <laughs> the Connet case and going through that and talking about all this stuff. And, and I think one of the things that kind of emerged, this idea of a trust operation, you know, and we've heard about it, the Phoenix program, the Gladio. I mean, it's happened over and over and over again. And this happened with the true the vote people and the vote operation apps. The people that were funding these operations were on the opposite side of what the people were were saying, actually, in the, the true the vote situation. It was the Koch brothers funding them and the FBI. And it was, a, you know, a real different thing. But that idea that uh, that the people that you trust are conning you, you know, that is a little bit helpful, I think, to understand that this has happened over and over and we just have to wake up and see it. You know, it's like yeah. a fog. It's like the another thing that people are starting to see is that it is a unit party. In other words, we, we mm-hmm. have yeah. we have, one, we have this, this Republican image, you know, that all the liberals think, well, all those Republicans are these, you know, uh, mm-hmm. nut with with uh, rifle racks and KKK flags, and and uh, the fact is that most of the power in the Republican Party is bankers and and people that are invested in the the big military industrial complex and mm-hmm. and the drug companies and all that stuff. It's not it's not the people that are shamed by the 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 memes of the of of the left, but and then on the on the Democratic side. You know, even even Bernie Sanders, you know, people will admit that the you know the, the progressive movement is dead in the in the Democratic. It's 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 dead in the door now, and there's nothing there. But you know, the people, you know, the the, the great progressive people, they're still out there. They just haven't got any leaders. They haven't got anything that they can do with it. But they're still under the spell that uh, anybody that was on the Republican side is is evil. Mm-hmm. So that we have to break that spell by saying no. That, that, you know, like what I what I think is going on, at least right here locally, is that the the, the supposed Democrats are, are more more like Dinos, and and the supposed Republicans are more like Rhinos. And so I think you know it's just a whole bunch of Dinos and Rhinos that that are are competing. You know to be the, the the system that's going to be used by the next level up, you know, the state government or the, 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 the big government bank people that are going to say, oh, yes, we'll pick these guys. You're going to be Cinderella this year, you know, and then four years go by and they're disillusioned and they pick the others. Oh, you guys, you, we, we like you now. But they're all fighting for a piece of the same sucking at the same tip. To put it frankly, I like it with the dinos and the rhinos. Yeah, that's kind of great. Well, I think pointing out that the big money, I mean, I noticed, like, say, NPR started getting funded by 
the Koch brothers and Halbertron. And, you know, I started thinking, what's going on here? And that that's the point that the big money on the left and the big money on the right are causing opposite things to happen than you than you might think. And I think to reveal that is um, is helpful. Yeah, Joe. patterns, patterns, follow patterns. Yeah, like seeing that the Koch brothers were were funding the True the Vote guys. And for the Democrats, I think one thing that it, that's starting to unravel is as they hold everybody accountable to the to the wokeness, um, they got mad at the private prisons. And a lot of the big funders were funded by the private prisons. And so they started taking it, they're calling it the detentions, the ICE detention centers. So the Republicans would feel okay about that. It's just sort of shifting and changing the words and changing what it is, but it's, it's still um, Auschwitz. Carol, what I noticed that was really sad is like, there's this group called the Geo Group. And you would think it'd be one yeah. party. You would think it'd be one party. But then when you read it, you're like, well, they donated to Trump. They helped get him elected. But as soon mm -hmm. as they started to help get him elected, they decided, no, no, no. And they started to go with the Democrat ticket before he was even elected. Then they helped to sponsor the Russia, Russia, Russia. Then they helped to sponsor anyone and everyone on both sides of the aisle. That's the never Trumpers on the right and the people who said that Trump was Antichrist on the left. And literally, they gave those people money to cause and sabotage and get on the media. And this was a just this is a private prison in which they need to stay 90% full in order to give a return on stock value. So you don't mm -hmm. have an actual like city, county, and state prison where they're dealing with right. what's happened in the state. With thing, and, it, and if they get out of line or they're unfair or they're breaking the Constitution, the federal government steps in and says, wait a minute, you're taking away constitutional rights, you're being abusive or blah, 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 blah. Instead, it's this holy entity that when they put Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrook into jail, they said they're in a federal prison. No, they weren't. They're in a private mm -hmm. prison that's also used as an ICE detention center that yeah. then they use those ICE de detainees to keep their numbers up to 90%. And then therefore they make manufacture goods for cheap labor. And so mm -hmm. you have a lot of these people on both sides of the aisle whose campaigns were funded by this group. And then conveniently, when people found out about it, conveniently, their stock goes down 53%, which means, let's see, they're going to rename it. They're going to go for bankrupt. They're going to then open it up in a different LLC. They're going to call it a different name and they're going to keep the facilities the exact yeah. same. And not the change anything. Dealers. But I think yeah. this FTX, the FTX thing that's unraveling totally is revealing, you know, yeah. a, a lot of money shenanigans that uh, on the Democratic side. So I think that that the whole funding of the election is going to be revealed or it's being revealed too. right I now. I think the rhinos were just very much so in the know about FTX as well. There's yeah. no way it, that they weren't. They were like, you've got your Romneyites up there saying mm -hmm. we need to give, we need to give to Ukraine. And there were people that have family in Ukraine and literally have been in the military and helped Ukraine to have an affinity for that country and wanted to help them. But if they knew that it was going to be turned into cryptocurrency and then turned around and used to then censor them on YouTube and like and, <laughs> and, and, right. and destroy our military and give people in our country a bad name, they would have never had that affinity because they would have been like, this is corrupt. I, I support mm -hmm. the Ukrainian people, but not this corrupt BS that's going on. And so they, they really, they deceived everybody 
and it's very yeah. ugly and they and received the ukrainians the ukrainians too when we were in uh in front of the courthouse there's a big park kind of like you know the mall in dc and there one day there was a ukrainian gathering of people and they had all the pictures of the atrocities and it, it yeah i mean we know it's horrific but we're not seeing that in the news like we did in Vietnam, you know, all the horrible news. So seeing it, it's just, how could the Democratic, all my friends think that this was a good thing to fund the Ukrainian war with billions of dollars? It's, how this did they get so arrangement syndrome. Yeah, it's yes, a great, it's a real it, thing. it was, it, it was is a derangement real thing. syndrome. It is a it, real thing. And it's Chuck mm -hmm. Schumer and, you know, uh, Jewish people of, of great persuasive ability that are supporting the Nazis. It's just crazy terror. Yeah, it, it's insane. Well, it is insane. It's the, the way that the way I understand it, it's the Kazarian thing, you know? Yeah. The Kazarian okay. who, who come and they're they're just like kind of the subversive group if historically speaking where they're like supposedly the fake jews or whatever in general people don't think one thing like oh jewish people you know that means mm -hmm. so many different things there's like the banker aspect there's just like families that have like a religion but there's also these you know these ones that are pretend they're other people you know yeah. and we can talk about that all night but i would say john that i think that you should write uh do a little irish jig called the egerton 88 yeah. what is it cool yeah egerton is that the right word yeah yeah egerton. i guess it's egerton right yeah egerton okay egerton yeah that's a so good why idea not? Yeah, do a little. Yeah, I love that idea. I'd love to hear it. And 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 Carol, you can play the drums with me. How about that? Yeah, I'd love to, John. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I was super excited tonight because I went to my uh, son's first orchestra concert, and he plays the violin. He was oh, so yeah. nervous, but they were so cute, all sixth graders, and they're doing pretty good. But it just felt so good. And at the end, they sang, "What a wonderful world it could be." And True Colors by Cindy Lauper. And I started crying. Beautiful. Especially with What a Wonderful World It Could Be, because some of the little soloists were great. Um, they already have their vibrato and they're finding themselves. And so my son gets embarrassed with singing. So he, you know, will lip sync a little bit, bit of it and sing some of it. I catch him when he's singing in the shower, but if he hears the floor creak, he, he's quiet because he doesn't want mommy to hear. But he loves violin and I felt. It was so nice and so pleasant to watch him play and really be on the stage and feel like he was in his oh, first concert. Nice. Well, I have to zip and go pick up my grandson who's learning how to grapple. He's become a wrestler now. <laughs> now the oh, nice. Over. So, <laughs> well, well, listen. Let me let me just uh, leave you with one thought, which we were talking uh, at the beginning. You know about the necessity of of a government of laws, and and uh, John Adams, of course, being in favor of s such a government. One of the his quotes that has stuck with me is this: "I am a soldier, so that my son can be an engineer, mm -hmm. so that his son can be an artist." And I think that's, that's what Tara, that's what Tara is saying is that you know we need artists to develop our culture 
direction? Where where are we going? And to address the big mm -hmm. problems and to say, here's how we can fix it. We can fix it, you know, it, by, by a musical number or by a a, a piece of, of graphic arts or or a video or a, but it, but it has to be a way to communicate something in an artistic way that perhaps can't even be said in words, but will lead us uh, in the direction that our culture needs to go to stay healthy and peaceful and, and, and growing and not need to go back to that soldier generation ever. Uh, yeah. that, that, I think, is Ask the that. dream of the Founding Fathers. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's I think, uh, a, a nice way to, to leave it tonight. Let's, let's all work towards uh, that idea of yeah, we have to fight, but when it's over, we're going to build, and then we're going to create art and be creative. Yeah. Like God I, wants I love it. Yes. Thank you, John. <laughs> <laughs>